Amen. You may be seated. Amen. I want to invite you, if you have God's word, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And let's, let us put our finger there this morning for a moment. Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at, at, at verse 8. And uh, the title on the bulletin you see is The, the Voice. And, uh, and so the idea is we're going to see here is, is that Isaiah hears the voice of God. Now, I, I was saying that I, I was reminded of a blessing that Heidi and I have experienced. This is my lovely wife right here. Heidi, raise your hand in case nobody's ever met her. You need to meet her. And uh, she's just a wonderful lady, always happy, and I love that. But anyhow, talking about the blessing we've experienced, we, uh, we had a, a, a couple boys that was raised in our church at Bradenton First Church of the Nazarene in, uh, in Florida, Bradenton, Florida. And uh, these two boys moved to the church at about two years of age with their father, who was the worship pastor. And, and uh, their names are Jordan Parker Guthrie and Jordan Parker. Uh, uh, they grew up and they began to learn how to play the piano and the guitar and, and I mean, all kinds of instruments. And they were a part of our worship team and they were so key and they were there was just so much momentum, enthusiasm behind those boys. And, and then they graduated high school. And we proudly sent them to Treveca Nazarene University, one of our sister colleges across the country. And they went to Treveca and their ministry just exploded. And they were in a, traveling teams and they, they were a part of music groups. In fact, then four years ago, they were used at General Assembly. And then a couple of years ago, we got the, the good news, the message that one of the boys, I think it was Jordan, one of the boys got selected to be on a TV program called The Voice. How many know The Voice? Anybody watch The Voice? Kind of like an American Idol type of gig. And so Jordan gets to be a part of The Voice and he goes through the thing. He doesn't make it very far. But it was so exciting, the fact that here was this young man that was a part of our church, got to be on The Voice, and he was a part of that whole big deal, that show. And you remember the show, and there's these judges, and, and their backs are towards the talent, The Voice that is singing, and they're in these big chairs, and there's a red button in each chair, and they bonk, they hit the button. If they like The Voice, they like The Voice they're hearing, because they're searching for the talent. I mean, they're really looking for The Voice. You know what I'm saying? And they go bonk, and then the chairs, they spin around. And they get to see the voice, you know, that they believe is the voice, the voice that is the talent. And they're very intense about it. I mean, it's very, I mean, a lot of emotion. I wonder if we are, if we are that intense about hearing the voice of God. (laughs) I wonder if we are that intentional about really saying, hey, I want to hear what God, you know, has to say. And that's really relevant because in our passage today in Isaiah chapter six and looking at verse eight, this is this is what we're reading and we're talking about is it is Isaiah, of course, the prophet that is that is hearing the voice of the Lord. And in context, it's I, I, this is good to read. I mean, it's relevant because it's so much like our world today in a world that we live where there's so much chaos and confusion and disenchantment and so many voices that are calling for attention and so many things that are, are drawing us towards that entity that we might support them, that they might have our support. I mean, there's all kinds of voices in this world in which we live, in this culture in which we live, that wants our attention, that's vying for attention. This was a time when Isaiah is about 742 B.C. And Isaiah was a good king. In fact, he was in line or succession of many bad kings. And so you can imagine that the people probably are a little bit gun shy. And finally, they get a good king, and we read about the good king, Uzziah. And then at the end of Uzziah's life, Uzziah jumps track, and he turns away from God. And you can imagine the emotional impact, young people. You can imagine the emotional impact when the one they thought was their spiritual leader 
they find out that he's really not after all. And so they were kind of disenchanted. And you can imagine how how discouraging that must have been. And how they probably thought in their mind that, you know, if we're going to say we're hearing the voice of God, it better be real. It better be authentic, you know. And so I believe this passage is so very relevant because here is Isaiah himself having heard the voice of God before. It says we read that he was he heard it with terror and probably some trepidation or probably some maybe some, you know, a little bit of, you know, is this really God or is this just my imagination? Have you ever been there before? I mean, trying to hear the voice of God and you're thinking, okay. I hear this voice in this still voice in my head. Is it really God or is it really me? I mean, you can imagine you've probably been there before. And so here we have we have Isaiah and he's hearing the voice of the Lord. But you see what really kind of puts the cherry on top. I mean, what really unfolds it for him is that he has this spectacular vision. And we'll get that to to that a little bit later. But he has a spectacular vision and then he responds And he realizes there is something real here and there is something that is authentic and something that he can latch on to. And we see that here in verse eight. Go with me. Isaiah chapter six, looking at verse eight. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. This is after he has this big vision. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, now this is God's voice. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Let's pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. I thank you, Lord, that your voice speaks in the wilderness. That your voice speaks to us out of the darkness and that your voice is is relevant and it is current. Your voice is authentic. And if we take the time to listen, I believe, God, that you speak and you're speaking and probably most likely even right now. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us today as we read the word. I pray that your blessing would be upon it and that, Lord, that you'll be present. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name and all God's people said, amen. I love the fact that there is this communication that's happening. I mean, it is between Isaiah and God, Jehovah. And so Jehovah's speaking. And then, of course, Isaiah responds and he's speaking back. And, and there's this connection. And it's a big deal. I mean, in, in this culture today, especially in the place and the time that we live, communication is a deal. How many agree with that? I mean, it's important that we communicate and we communicate through technology. We communicate with our text and our cell phones. We communicate with email and we communicate with Facebook. I mean, communication. And this age of technology is a big deal. Can you imagine what it was like a hundred years ago? I mean, before there was all this technology. And, and I think there, there was a time, oh, I know there was a time, that, that the only way that people could communicate long distance was through what they called the telegraph. <laughs> how many know what the telegraph is? Do you remember that, the telegraph a hundred years ago? And How did they do that? What was the communication tool? It was... Morse code. That's right. Morse code is the the electrical signals that are long and short sounds like dot, 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 dot. You want me to do that again? 
No, so it's Morse code. I love the story about communication of this young man that uh, he gets out of college back in that time when there was just the telegraph. And he graduates college and he has a degree and he, he's learned Morse code. And he finds an ad in his hometown. He travels to his hometown. This ad was for a, a job as a telegrapher. And so he goes to the business building and he goes into this kind of open office where all the reception is, is done or the receiving is done of people. And he goes to this office and there's all kinds of noise and clattering. And, and then there's the sound of a telegrapher, you know, clicking out some kind of message in the background and all the noises of an office. And he goes in and you notice there's six or seven other clients that are waiting or or prospective uh, uh, interviewees that are wanting to interview for the job. Six or seven of them are sitting there in the receptionist's office. And he notices a sign on the reception desk, you know, fill out form if you're applying for a job. And he fills the form out. He fills the form out. And then this young man that's looking for this job, he goes back and sits beside the other six or seven young men that are interviewing or waiting to be interviewed for the job. And he sits there for about 30 seconds. And after about 30 seconds, this young man gets up walks past the receptionist, goes through the door, (laughs) back into the inner office, and just the door slowly closes behind him. And these six or seven guys that are waiting to get interviewed, their mouths drop open. Like, what happened? Did we miss something? And so he goes back, and several minutes pass, and then pretty soon the employer walks out with the young man. The employer shakes the young man's hand. And he says, congratulations. And and then the young man leaves and he turns to the other. The employer turns to the other candidate and says, gentlemen, I'm sorry to say we've already filled the position. Thank you for coming. They're frustrated. These guys cannot believe this guy cut right in front of him. He got the job. That's just not fair. One bold candidate said as much. He says, that's not fair. He cut in front of us. We've been waiting. Why did he get the job? The employer said, I'm sorry, but the whole time you've been sitting out here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. (laughs) I, I think sometimes life is a little... It's kind of like that because, you know, we're sitting around and we're waiting. I mean, we're waiting for that message or we're waiting for that thing that will give us purpose in life. We're waiting to hear something, some kind of voice that is saying, hey, this is the direction. Well, ladies and gentlemen, while all along while we're waiting for all this to happen, the voice has already been spoken. And the voice is already there and the voice can already be heard. And the voice, obviously, that we're talking about that Isaiah points to, it is the voice of Jesus Christ, is the voice of God himself, who is our creator. And we are the created ones. And it is the voice of God that God desires us to hear this morning. Amen. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the clattering and all the noise and all the things in life that are so difficult and life is hard sometimes. But in the midst of all of that, there is something that happens in the life of Isaiah. And we see it here in this passage. In fact, in a few verses before this verse that we looked at and we read together this morning, we begin to get an idea of what happens. Because for the life of Isaiah, what happens is he begins to see the flash of the glory of God. 
And in fact, it paints for us this picture of this vision that he has. And and the prophet gets a vision of the heavenlies. And I love this because he looks past the curtain and past the Holy of Holies into the sanctuary in heaven. And in the secular tense, we could say, well, this is just kind of an incantation. In fact, at this time, there were a lot of pagan religions. In fact, one prominent religion that was pagan was the Akkadians. And the Akkadians, they they believed in incantations. In fact, I've learned that 30% of their theology was about these incantations. You know, these secret solutions that would, you know, help them in their maladies or or they would practice a, a practice that is called extispacy. Extispacy is the practice that they had take their animals, they sacrifice on the altar and they'd cut them open and they'd cast out the entrails. And then they'd use the entrails to read about the future. They would divine the future by the entrails of the animal. It was a time of chaos. And pagan theology and religion and in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all the noise of life, all of a sudden the glory of God begins to break in. Man, this was big stuff for Isaiah. In fact, in our text, go back to our text for a moment and, and notice the union of, of the singular and the plural in the same sentence. I mean, it's significant here. He, he's listening to the voice of God. Jehovah speaks in the beginning of the, the verse there. And we read, whom shall I send? That's Jehovah. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? For us. So we have this combination of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So, so we have Jehovah that is representing or is representing the King that is in council with the Trinity. Amen. And then number two, we have here the execution of divine judgment by Isaiah because on Isaiah's part, what happens is he recognizes his place and his need for cleansing. So in the vision that he has, of course, with the seraphim and the cherubim, that he comes before the glory of God. And in his vision, what happens, the seraphim takes his tongs and he picks up a hot coal and he brings the hot coal to the lips of Isaiah. And he takes that hot coal and he burns the lips of Isaiah, which is symbolic of the cleansing of the sin and the cleansing of the wrong that is there in his life. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the glory of God, hallelujah, he hears the voice of God and his life is absolutely transformed. He's transformed. And then his self becomes the self that is consecrated to the things of God and the activity of God. And we have here then a prophet that is on a very special mission. I wonder in my mind this morning, how do we get to that point, young people? How do we get to the point that we realize that we are on special mission with God? Isaiah, it happens in a few ways. One, it's the revelation of the glory of God. This is what unfolds. In, in front of Isaiah, it's the revelation of the glory of God. He sees the glory of God. And, and part of seeing the glory of God is that we have to be willing to see the glory of God. We have to be willing to look and see God's glory and where God may be working or how God may want to work and how God is working in the church. Willing to see the glory of God. It may be that we may be willing to see the, or to, to hear the glory of God, to hear God speak in that small, still voice and to experience the glory of God. And that that experience is who God really is as we we experience him in our lives. In fact, I like one quote I came across from a pastor. In fact, a female pastor, she writes this. She says, I don't believe there is one great thing I was made to do in this world. Listen to this. I don't believe there is one great thing I was made to do in this world. I believe there is one great God I was made to glorify. <laughs> 
in doing this effectively and glorifying the Father. And as we become the hands of Christ, as we become the feet of Christ, and we begin to do the things that God has called us to do, people begin to see his glory and experience his glory as we come before him and we are obedient to being God and being Jesus to other people. And so by glorifying God, they begin to see God's glory and maybe want to be a part of it. So first is the revelation of the glory of God. The second thing for Isaiah, what unfolds is the response of confession. It's the response of confession. It's, it's the place of healing so that there is this moment of lament and there's this moment that we confess to the Lord and say, God, there is something wrong or there is something that is coming or falling short in my life to to lament before the Lord. And, And the fact is not one person in the sanctuary is outside of the reality that we need to lament before the Lord. Not one of us lives outside of the reality that 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 we need reparations and that we need the forgiveness of of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're we're all there. I I was blessed the other night a couple weeks ago. I had one of our young people, Carissa. I think she's here. Carissa Gates. She invited me to come listen to her sing and lead worship at the uh, they have a service that's led by the college kids on our Point Loma campus called Time Out. And so she was leading the worship and she invited me to come hear her. And so Heidi and I, uh, we went to the timeout service and we listened. And Krista did an awesome job, by the way. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that. But, but as we listened to what was happening, they explained what timeout was. That it was the service for the college student to be able to just kind of unabashedly be transparent and To lament about the hurts in their life. It it was really a a safe zone called timeout. And then a young man got up and he began to share about his hurt and his brokenness. And and in the very process itself, there's no question that probably reparations were being made. And healing was happening because he had come to the very same place that Isaiah brings us this morning. And that is in a response of confession to the Lord. That's a response of confession to the Lord. Maybe the response of confession is maybe it has to do with the relationship that we had back in college and something went sideways and we did maybe somebody wrong and we need to make that reparation. Maybe it's possible it's somebody that you're working with and you realize that part of confession is that we deal with those issues in our life that are unresolved. Maybe reparation, it means, it means that we, we take a step before the other person takes a step and we humble ourselves because we are living in this space, a space of lamentation and reparation. Confession often is in the form of forgiveness. Can I say that again? That confession is often in the form of forgiveness. I had an individual that I had bad feelings towards when I was in college and I kind of nurtured those feelings and I kind of put them in the back of of my mind and I never told anybody about them. But I'll never forget when about 15 years or 20 years after college, those feelings came back and and I realized that I'd been harboring those ill feelings towards somebody. And it was becoming this clog in the channel between God and I and I had to make it right. And so I called that individual I called that individual on the phone and I confessed my ill feelings and I confessed my wrong. And I said to that person, I'm so terribly sorry. 
And as reparations is being made and that sweet person was very responsive and compliant. And by the grace of God, they were forgiving and hallelujah, glory came down because reparations were made. And sometimes we need to live in the space that Isaiah was living in. And that is a response of confession in our lives. Amen. The second thing that, that Isaiah shows us as, as this unfolds, the, the glory of God unfolds to him as the calling and hearing God's voice, which is the very hard task sometimes of, of doing what God asks us to do. And we're really, really nervous about that because sometimes God asks us to do something that we don't want to do. And here it was preaching the, the message of God that there was sin in the nation. There was condemnation in this nation. And, and he didn't want to do it, but it was a very hard task. But he was obedient to God. And, and then, of course, what happens is, is then, then Isaiah finds his place with God because he's responding to the voice of the Lord. Amen. And I understand there are many voices calling us. There are lots of things out there that want our attention. I understand. But when it comes to the voice of God, only you can hear what God is saying to you. Only you can hear what God is saying to you. I like Oswald Chambers a couple of days ago in his devotional book. He writes this. He writes, the majority of us cannot hear anything but ourselves. And we cannot hear anything God says, but to be brought to the place where we can hear the call of God is to be profoundly changed. To be brought to a place where we can hear the call of God is to be profoundly changed. You see, this is what the nature of God's call is about. It's about the nature of God himself. And it's his nature that is blending with our nature. And as we experience the nature of God in us, then in that nature, we hear the voice and the call of God. And you see, you cannot compare it to other people. They cannot interpret it for you. It's not about your abilities. It's not about your talents. You may not hear the call if it is. It is about the nature of God in us and responding. Responding to the nature of God, that we'd hear his voice and his call for our lives. Amen. So God's voice can be heard. Not thinking about abilities, talents, and traits, but God's voice can be heard. And for Isaiah, it came in the form of the cherubim and the seraphim. Heavenly creatures, you can imagine, as he has this spectacular vision just right there before a verse. And in fact, the scripture defines it. The temple is thrown open to view, even to the most holy place. The prophet standing outside the temple sees the divine presence seated on the mercy seat, raised over the Ark of the Covenant. And by the way, the cherubim and the seraphim, they always represent the holiness of God. Did you get that? They always represent the holiness of God. And then we see Ezekiel giving us a description here of the cherubim and the seraphim. They come in the center of fire, shining like bronze. They look like four living creatures in the form of being human. But each had four faces and four wings. They did not turn as they moved. They did not turn as they moved. So it gives you this idea of a supernatural presence, which is the supernatural presence of God. It is the glory of God that he was encountering as they hovered there and towered above the ark of the covenant. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I need the power of God to tower above things in my life. I need the power of God to tower above my hurts. I need the power of God to tower above my despair. I need the power of God to tower above my abuses. I need the power of God to tower above the issues of life sometimes. Amen. And God brings us that kind of power as we get a vision of the glory of God. Because God wants to bring that into your life. He wants to bring grace. 
And he wants to bring love. And he wants to bring forgiveness. He wants to help you tower above the things that you have had to live through. He wants to help you tower above the sexual abuse that maybe you've had to deal with. He wants to help you tower above maybe the emotional abuse that you've had to deal with as an adult. Maybe your life has been slick as a whistle and everything's been perfect. But God still wants to help you tower above the simple gratification of this world. And you get a glimpse of the glory of God, of who God is. And you can experience that kind of victory and power in life. I don't know if maybe you feel your voice is unheard. But there is a place. There is a realm where you can hear the voice of God. You believe that today? There is a realm where God can stir your spirit and fill your heart and sanctify your soul. There is a realm that you can tower above all the things of this world. And that realm is so clearly stated for us. That realm, are you ready for this? That realm is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. One commentary points out. He says, this is, this is the correlation, this is the application here, that Isaiah saw, what Isaiah saw, is the pre-incarnate Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ. We see this understood again later in John, the Gospel of John in chapter 12, 600 years later after Isaiah. Here's what John writes. He writes, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Amen. Isaiah says this. John writes about that there in the first century. And then, and then earlier, Isaiah writes himself in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned our own ways. And that means when we go to our own ways, there is chaos and there is confusion and there is all the static in life. Because you see, our own way does not satisfy. He says, we all have turned our own ways. But then we continue to read Isaiah in 53, 6. He says, but the Lord God has laid upon him. This is Jesus. The Lord God has laid upon him the iniquity or the sin of us all. Let this hand represent sin. Let this hand represent Jesus Christ. And we read that verse again. God said, but the Lord has laid upon him. That's Jesus Christ here. This is our sin. The Lord has laid upon him. The sin or the iniquity of us all. So we then are set free so that we might rise up and receive the father. The scripture says, you at the son hath life who hath not the son hath not life. No man comes to the father except through the son. Why? The iniquity has been laid on the son. And so that that burden has been taken off mankind so that we might rise up and we might receive everlasting life. Hallelujah. That's what the glory and the power of God is about. That we might rise up and receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and have everlasting life. You say, Pastor, how how do you know that? How how do you know that? I know that because I'll never forget. When I was 11 years old, I was watching a movie at a public theater that was produced by Billy Graham called Time to Run. And as I, I watched the movie called Time to Run, I will never forget How spellbound I was by a very simple message. It was about a young teenager who was rebelling against his parents. He was rebelling against his girlfriend because she was a Christian. And he was rebelling mostly against God. 
I'll never forget the young teenager that got his backpack and with terrible words screamed at his parents and ran out of the house. Ran out into the wilderness and in some dilapidated building, he began to just kind of curse God and curse God. Threw his backpack down, his coat, and in his emotion, I'll never forget, as he was just really cursing God. And then in his cursing, he began to cry, and his crying turned into agony, and his agony turned into trembling, and his trembling turned into brokenness, and his brokenness knocked him to his knees. And he began to repent. In that space of reparations, in that space of confession, he began to repent in his brokenness and confess his sin. And then he he turned to God. And all of that anger and angst and frustration, he turns to God. And I remember watching that, folks. I remember watching that. And, and I remember it felt like a fog that moved into the theater. And I was there with my mother. I was just a young boy, not 11 years of age. And that fog that moved into the theater. And, oh, it wasn't visual, but I could feel it. It was the fog of the Spirit of God. And as I felt the Spirit of God around me. And then this boy made this decision. And all of a sudden, click, the light bulb went on. And I realized that I believed in God. But I had not chosen God as my personal Savior. I'd not said, God, I accept you. I receive your son, Jesus Christ. And after the movie was over, public theater, Baker City, Oregon, never forget it. What happens is the lights are turned on and this gentleman came to the front. He was probably 88 years old. He had eyebrows this long. I mean, big. I never forget the eyebrows. I guess. He looked like he belonged on Star Trek or something. But anyways, he had these long, and he comes forward and he says, is there anybody... That needs to do what this young man did. And I'll never forget. I was sitting about in the second row there. My mom was on the outside. Or no. She was on the inside chair. I was on the outside chair. And, and uh, he said. There's anybody that needs to respond. And I lifted up my right arm. And my mom pushed it down. I was a little ADHD. No. A lot of it ADHD. Pushes my arm down. And then she looks at my eyes. And she could see that something was happening. Something was real. And so I lifted my left arm up. <laughs> True. And that gentleman came down. I don't know if he did this with anybody else. But he came down and he knelt beside me. And I turned around and I knelt in front of that theater chair of all places. A movie theater. And I knelt at that chair. And I prayed a very simple prayer. I prayed that I believed in God. I prayed that I knew I was a sinner. And I prayed that Jesus would come into my heart and be my personal Savior. That day, this gentleman had me fill out a card. I carried it maybe a couple years, threw it in a drawer. When I left for college, my dad went through my things. And he put it in his jewelry drawer. My dad went to be a Jesus five years ago. Just before he left. Went to his jewelry drawer. Pulled out this card. It says, my decision for Christ. And some verses and other things. But then it says, April 4th, 1973. Tony Miller, this is the day that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And I've cherished that. One, one reason, because my dad had saved it, but other, because it reminded me that there was a day that I drove a stake in the ground. 
See, the enemy does not want you to do that. The enemy wants you to keep it smoking mirrors. He doesn't want you to drive a stake in the ground and say, my life belongs to God. That's what God wants us to do. That's what he's challenging us to do, to get a vision of of the heavenlies, a vision of his glory. And we do that by driving a stake in the ground and say, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And this is a real serious moment. So I want to invite, invite you not to look around, please. Just bow your head and close your eyes. This is a serious moment that's between you and God. It's not you and the pastor or you and the church. It's you and God. And he's saying to you, I have a vision for you. He's saying to you, I have a vision of the heavenlies for you. I have a vision of, remember, the holiness of God. Nobody's looking around. I want to invite you today, right now, to respond to God. Not to me, but respond to God and say, God, I hear your voice. God, I hear your voice right now, and I'm going to drive a stake in the ground, and I'm going to say, God, I choose you. Like that boy that was yelling and screaming, and life was chaotic, but in the midst of all of that, all of a sudden comes this piercing light of truth, a vision of heaven. I choose you, God. I'm driving that stake. I'm choosing you, God. I'm choosing you, God. I've let myself down. I've let you down. And so, Lord, I'm saying this. I choose you. And maybe it's a renewal of your choice. Maybe you're saying, God, I need to make this commitment new again. Maybe it's the first time. But I'm just saying, I choose you, God. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Just you and Jesus. If you're praying that way and you mean it in your heart, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. It's just between you and Jesus. I want to invite you just to, while our heads are bowed, just lift your hand up. And I want to carry you quietly and secretly in my heart and pray for you. Just lift your hand up. If you're saying, God bless you, there's somebody, there's two. Somebody else, raise your hand. I choose you, Jesus. I'm driving a stake in the ground. I'm following you. Three, four. Anybody else? Five, six. Somebody else, just raise your hand. Seven, eight, nine. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus, right now, Father. Thank you, Lord. Ten. Thank you, Jesus. I choose you. This is the day. I'm making the commitment. This is the day. Thank you, Father. I choose you. Hallelujah. I choose you right now. This is the day. I choose you. You're my king. Jesus, you're my Lord. I can't make it without you. Life is too rough without you, so I need you right now. I choose you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the vision that you gave Isaiah. The correlation of the pre-incarnate Christ in us, Lord, that you would become real and personal and intimate. And, Lord, you're doing that right now in each of these lives. I thank you, Father, for hearing that prayer. The prayer of that one that has lifted their hand up. And they're saying, forgive me of my sin. They're saying, I believe in you, God. And they're saying, Jesus, I want you to live in my life. I don't have to pray some special prayer with you. That's, that's, your, that's yours. You pray your prayer to God. God speaks to you. God, I'm choosing you right now. I worship you, Father. I love you, God. In Jesus Christ's glorious name, we're going to sing. Let's stand and prepare to worship. But I want to just share something, show something to you. Let's stand together. Several of you lifted your hand up. And I have this little gift for you. And I have a stack up here. And I have a stack up here. And if you lifted your hand up, 
We're going to have lots of people milling about after service. After service, would you come by and pick one of these up? I want to give that to you. Or you just come pick it up. But if you lifted your hand up today, I'm going to be up front. Uh, Robert Churchman, Pastor Churchman is going to be up front here for questions. But I want to invite you to pick one of these up. We're going to have a time of sacrament now. And we're going to worship. In fact, you can pick this up as you come and have communion if you'd like. But I want to invite us just to reflect upon the glory of God. That we get a glimpse of that glory as we partake of the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us. A glimpse of that glory that we might come to the wall of hope and pray. Somebody will be there with you. That you'll be reminded of that glory. Maybe light a candle. I go to the table sometimes. I think of my youngest son. He attended here when he was in the Navy. Would you pray for Abram? Would you pray for Abram? Anybody shake your head? I light a candle and say, Lord, speak to him. He's a really quiet boy, so I'm not sure where he is really spiritually. So I light one for Abram. Nothing magical about it. I, I'm just, it's how I'm telling God where my heart is. I'm praying for Abram. Let's experience his glory today. You raise your hand, get your book, but come and have communion. Let's worship and let's see his glory right now. Let's just begin.